Yo! Welcome in to the House of L podcast. I've got a treat for you in this episode. I'm Lawrence Holmes. Thanks so much for hanging out with me on the podcast today. We've had so much fun. I really want to thank you for something before we get into today's incredible interview. I want to thank you for all the support that we've gotten for the Star Trek episodes. Maggie and I are going to keep doing them. I, I'm, I'm thinking maybe every other week or once a month. I haven't quite decided on on how much, but I, I am appreciative of how much people are into what it is that Maggie and I are doing and enjoy us talking about Star Trek the way that we did. It's so funny. Like we, Now people, I like that people agree with us on the whole creepy Jordy thing. Not that he was creepy all the time, but the, I mean, come on, man. Every time you see these engines, you see me, every time you touch them, it's just kind of creepy. I mean, I guess technically that wasn't his fault. That was the holodeck's fault. But still, it was a little bit off. It was a little bit off. But we are enjoying talking about Star Trek when we can, and Maggie's just great. So I enjoyed talking with her about a lot of different subjects, but... We both get very passionate about talking about Star Trek. I'm almost finished with Discovery. So we'll have a discussion on that once I, I get caught all the way up with Discovery. That has nothing to do with this episode of the podcast, though. I'm so glad I got a chance to talk with this dude on my podcast because he's he's one of my favorites. Like, no doubt about it. You talk about a guy that you love him or you hate him. You don't feel halfway about Brad. Like, you don't feel halfway about the noise. He's so dynamic. Like, that's what I think about. Like, he's – there are a lot of people that are loud in our industry. But they're not fun and funny while being loud. Along with being knowledgeable, there are plenty of people who are loud and kind of knowledgeable, but Brad is the perfect nexus of you know him when you hear him, he has a lot of fun, and he knows what the hell he's talking about. If you don't know about Brad Evans, you're going to learn a lot more about him coming up in this episode especially like his background, like how he, he got into this industry. What I think is so fascinating about him is his entrepreneurial spirit. And you'll hear more of that coming up inside of our, our conversation too. He's one of those guys that was on the forefront of fantasy talk becoming a big deal. And we talk about what that means for now and what that means going forward. You can check him out. First of all, follow him on Twitter at Noisy Huevos. Because, come on, that's top notch. You can check him out on Altitude TV. You can check him out on Sirius XM. He's doing all sorts of stuff. He's such a creative man. I love bringing him on the score just to mix things up every now and again. Like, I like putting him on the air because our styles are contrasting. And it's 
I think that it's a trip for the listener. He also gives out incredible fantasy and gambling advice if you need that sort of thing. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to talk with him. I wanted to talk to him about where the industry is going when it comes to sports betting and and how the people who were on the forefront of fantasy are kind of on the forefront of sports betting. You know, it's, it wouldn't be a bad idea to put Ostrowski back on the show. Um, Joe, if you go look through the catalog of episodes, Joe and I did a long-form interview for House of L, God, maybe a year and a half ago. But considering how the, the market place has changed, it's probably a good idea to talk with Joe again since he's such a superstar in that, in that part of the industry. But so is Brad. And on top of that, if you make it all the way through the episode, there's a bonus because Brad is also a big tequila connoisseur. So we talked about why he's a tequila connoisseur and what he likes, what type of of stuff he likes. You'll hear like genuine affection between two friends, like two colleagues, two friends in this episode and I, I it comes across like I'll give you a perfect example. Last year I was so happy when I went down to the Super Bowl. And it was weird for me because I went to the Super Bowl for NBC, but I was doing my show for the score while I was there. And and so I feel like the guys, like, you know, I had worked with a bunch of the guys over at NBC, but it was nice for them to see me in my element. And I think think that they were impressed that I knew people and people knew me. And it was so comforting to see Brad. Like, Brad was sitting, like, two rows ahead of me. So I had, like, people down there. And so he came over and he hung out. You always he had the he had the fedora on and a t shirt, and we were just hanging out, man. Like I, I he's one of those people I genuinely like in our industry. Like there's some people you vibe with and and you reach like on a you're able to like vibrate on, on their frequency, and even though like our styles are different, like we vibe. Like I his grind is unbelievable. And it's one of the things that I respect about him. So you'll you'll enjoy this. Like, I, there's no way you don't enjoy this. And if you're someone who's interested in how fantasy sports and sports betting has really moved to the forefront of our industry, you'll dig what he has to say. Without further ado, my man, Noisy Wavos himself, Brad Evans. It's good seeing you too, man. How you been? Man, you know, I'm living. Um, trying to do my thing. Things have been great. Uh, things are really progressing well. This this market right now, Lawrence, and the sports betting space, as you know, is just, it's nascent. Like, I've never seen anything like this. This is b- bigger than the first gold rush in, in gamification media. I mean, this is massive. It's galactic. Well, I mean, honestly, that's one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about on the podcast today, man. Like, I, I, the podcast is all about like our business and how it 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 grows and how individuals work inside of our business, and it's it's honestly one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on. Well, I appreciate that. Well, I mean, there's a lot to unpack. I mean, it it just grows by leaps and bounds every day. I don't know if you saw last night, but the Athletic is hiring like an entire wing of content producers and engineers and 
software folks for their foray into sports betting. It's so weird to me. Like, I think about where, I mean, how many times you and I have had the conversation about the the pearl clutching that used to go on in sports <laughs> when, it, when it was connected to fantasy or gambling to see where that is to where we are now. Like, how... How do you explain how the change happened so rapidly in it and at this degree? That's a great question. Um, I think it's just money talks is a bottom line. I think, you know, to be honest with you, once the old hats got out of the way, you know, those old school antiquated thinkers, those knuckle draggers that are out there that have been. <laughs> You know, looking through a myopic lens for year after year after year. And they finally said, you know what? Uh, These fantasy people, oh, wait, it raises engagement levels. Oh, we like that. Oh, wait, they they spend a lot of money. Oh, we like that. I think once those guys got out of the way and you got some fresh thinkers in the room who weren't like get off my lawn, folks, it changed the entire game. So, you know, this is something, you know, my buddy Chris Liss and I talked about this probably three years ago, and I know you and I have had similar conversations. Chris Liss is one of the, uh, the managing editors at Rotowire, and, and Liss and I were just like, it's only a matter of time. It's only a matter of time. Once the dinosaurs die off or retire, fresh blood gets in there innovation gets in there and it'll change the entire game so you know you and i were in our 40s and uh that change that sea change is happening right now right before our eyes and i think that's the bottom line and and then we're going to be the stubborn mules 20 years from now when something else you know comes along and takes a place well you know what the, 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 i i could probably say that about me i would not say that about you i i think that one of the reasons why I, I love having you on the radio show and I wanted to have you on the podcast is that I think that you're really great at reinvention and innovation. And throughout your career, like we've seen this over and over again. Where does that come from? Like where where does your ability to adapt come from? Because there are plenty in our business who struggle with that. Yeah, look, uh, I believe in in Darwin. And science, and you know, uh, I'm—it's all about the survival of fist. And y- you've got to be able to be flexible in what you want to achieve if you want to have longevity and success in this business. Um, you know, that's that's the bottom line here. You know, I, I'll give a perfect analogy. I'm a huge U2 fan, right? And you know, U2—they could have made the same album, you know, and been really good at that same type of music, album after album, decade after decade. But, you know, they experimented with electronic music on pop. You know, they've experimented, uh, you know, they started in punk uh, with, you know, just traditional pop sounds. They experimented with the sounds of Harlem, right? And that movement and, and, the, and the black music influence. Uh, they, they've been able to adapt and change and try new genres because they're comfortable in their own skin. And... And they were never satisfied as artists unless they pushed themselves to a brink, to a limit. You know, one of my favorite quotes ever is by David Bowie. And, and David Bowie, you know, said, you're not doing it right unless you go as far out into the ocean until you can't touch the bottom anymore. Mm. He goes, at that point, then, you know, you have found the sweet spot. You have found the right spot. 
And, and for me, I try to adhere to that all the time. I push myself out to see, A, I'm afraid of sharks. So that, that keeps me on my toes. <laughs> and B, you know, you want to get to a place where you're a little bit uncomfortable. And, and if you're in that place, and then you just kind of figure things out and you mold and adapt to that new environment around you. So that's something that I'm always willing to do and I'm not afraid of. Let me take you back to Champagne for a little bit. What were you thinking was going to be your career path when you were a student? Oh, I was going to be a teacher. Um, you know, again, I, my, my beginnings are very humble in, in downstate Illinois. Um, you know, I started off at Parkland College. I was there for a long time. I played it slow, 14 hours, worked around my bar schedule. Why not? Uh, my wing night at, at the White Horse, rest in peace, in Champaign, Illinois, my favorite haunt. Um, and you know, I, I was kind of going through the motions and, you know, at first I wanted to be in an on-air meteorologist, right. And that's, that's what I wanted to be. And, and then I went, you know, I was like a year in at Parkland getting the prerequisites out of the way. And then I, I went and spoke to a counselor, uh, cause there was no meteorology program in Illinois. They had it, uh, an advanced degree program in atmospheric sciences, uh, but when I went and talked to this this counselor, essentially, this academic advisor at Illinois, she said, well, you could create your own major to get you prepared for that advanced degree. So I was like, great. Uh, give me the list of classes I need to take. And I looked at the list. and I'm like, well, I'm not that smart, Lawrence. Uh, <laughs> it's like Calc 1, Calc 2, Calc 3, you know, applied physics 1 and 2. And I'm like, man, there's there's too, there's too much math here. And and I'm like, I, there's no way that I'm going to be on this like hardcore scientific path. So I pivoted to a history major because what else are you going to do? And at that point, uh, I was like, all right, I've got decent writing skills. I have a gift to gab. And I'm like, I'll be a teacher. So that's what I did. So, you know, when I graduated from the U of I in 2001, I immediately went into education, taught at-risk students at an alternative high school in Champaign. Uh, I did that for six years, and then, you know, I was doing the fantasy stuff on the side, and that blew up, and then I quit teaching. But uh, I really enjoyed my, uh, my teaching days, you know, working with at-risk youth. If you can work with that group of individuals, you can work with anybody in society <laughs> as a bottom line um, because, you know, they had a lot of baggage. There were a lot of issues there, and I try to keep them engaged as much as I can through my sense of humor, through storytelling, and I wanted to listen to them, too, and hear their sides of the story, because I think that's really important. It gets lost uh, with with that kind of group of individuals. So it prepared me well for the next, uh, you know, level in life. But, yeah, I was just going to be a, a teacher, or maybe, a, you know, a, a, a college professor and teach a history of meteorology class or something like that. At the next level I eventually got my master's in geoscience from Mississippi State University. So SEC guy like you. That's right. And um, yeah. Uh, but, you know. Fantasy took me on a different path, and here we are today and talking about betting and fantasy and whatever else is on my mind. What do you think you got from the students? Because it's it's one thing for us to talk about what what we give them. Like, what do you think you picked up? Well, what I picked up is tolerance, you know, and, and being and listening, too. That's what's really important. There are a lot of educators out there. I mean, we've all been through the public education system, and – you know, a lot of a lot of the kids that I taught never really fit in that environment, like a large classroom environment. Some were in the system. Some had, you know, issues with the law on the side. Some were in gangs. Some were peddling drugs, you know, and some were from broken homes. And there were a lot of things that are there. But what I felt was really important for me is just to be as tolerant as I could, set a hard line with them that was fair. 
right? And I'm all about fairness, mm-hmm. you know, because you have to set certain parameters and certain limits uh, with students of that background uh, to make sure, because if you give an inch, it'll take a mile every single time, right? And, and for me, I, you know, I set those boundaries that helped me out, and that's something I learned from them, you know, how far they could push me and to make sure that I wouldn't crack in those moments and, you know, try to be stoic, try to be placid, try to be consistent in those situations. And then again, just coming back to it, listening to them. You know, some of my favorite uh, classroom sessions uh, when I was teaching, uh, you know, government was, you know, taking, um, you know, arguments from modern society. You know, maybe it was about race. Maybe it was about uh, economic strife. Maybe it was about, um, you know, stem cell research, whatever it was. And he would have point A, point B, and I would just listen to their opinions and arguments about subject matter uh, because they have a voice and they're American citizens just like any of us. And I thought it was really important to hear their side of the story and where they are coming from uh, because their background, very different from my upbringing. So I thought that was really important to, to understand them uh, within all contexts. When was the point that fantasy left being a fun hobby for you. And you were like, there's something here. <laughs> well, I, so let me, let me take you back uh, because how the hell did I get in the industry? And it was by complete accident. So uh, I was teaching again at the ready program in Champaign, Illinois. I was during a prep period and I'm like, man, I got a fantasy baseball draft coming up, and I don't know what the hell's going on. Like, who's closing for the Sox? Who's closing for the Jays? Like, you know, I got I to gotta find some values here. I got to unearth something to give me a guy that's not going to kill my ERA and whip, but it's going to get me 30 saves at the end of the year. So I go to Roto World. I'm reading up on spring training reports, all that jazz, and there's a Matthew Berry article there. Now, I didn't know who the hell Matt Berry was at that time, but, of course, we all know who he is with ESPN fame and everything else. I had never read an article by him ever before. So I click on it. It's long. I'm like, okay, I'm going to jump down the meat and potatoes here. Uh, it, just like any Barry article would be. And, and I, you know, I read through it. I'm like, okay, there's some interesting tidbits here. And then at the very bottom, it's like, I'm starting a Yahoo group site. And people would be like, what the, what, what's Yahoo groups? Never heard of that. Well, it's dead. It's no longer around. And it's basically kind of like Reddit before Reddit is the best way to describe it. Like-minded people hanging out in a forum, you know, extending ideas on a message board. So Barry had started this and then he hit me up one day because I was answering people's questions and I guess cogently and coherently. And he goes, can you write? And I said, yeah, bro, I can write. I was a history major at Illinois. All I did was drink and write and read. That's it. That was that was my life in college. That's the life of a history major. Trust me, I got got a history degree, too. You know how it is, brother. You know how it is. So he goes, I can't pay. I'm starting the site up. And I'm like, no problem. I submit an article called Drinking, uh, Drinking Beers in the Cheap Seats. And uh, next thing I know, two years later, the site blows up. And, you know, it was at that point I knew, okay, this is where fantasy is getting serious. It really started, Lawrence, with the advent of broadband internet connections, to be honest with you. At the turn of the century, so 2000, 2001, you know, once people got – it wasn't universal access because we don't even really have that still anymore. But mm-hmm. for the most part, a lot of people having direct access to high-speed internet and those commissioner services improved. That's when it just exploded. It went next level at that point. And then our content site taking off in 0406 was the next step in that evolution. And it was at that point, I'm like, okay, I can make a living off of this. And I was, you know, it's just a, a simple case of right person, right place, right time. And I'm very fortunate to be in that position. 
yes, those things are, are correct that you have to have the right place at the right time. But there's also like people need to understand this about you. Like your your work ethic is legendary. You know, like you go hard on all of this stuff. And people will sometimes think that us watching games isn't working. And, and it, it is. Trust me. And I know that you're in the middle of watching everything that you can get. You're consuming everything yeah. that you can get your hands on. So, so I mean, the work ethic part of it is is a big deal if if you're going to be able to capitalize on that right place, right time thing. You got to hustle. That's the bottom line. You got to hustle. And, you know, it's something I, I was fortunate enough. I earned an honorary degree from Parkland College uh, a couple of years ago, and they invited me to come speak at commencement. Huge deal. It's at Cranert. Uh, on campus at the University of Illinois, um, you know, one of the more iconic venues uh, for music, uh, really in the world. You know, uh, there have been some uh, preeminent artists that have played there over the years. And this jackass are like, hey, come speak at Craner Hall to our students. So I was like, OK, I got to I got to say something that's going to stick with these these kids. And, you know, for me, you know, I kind of went through what you need to do in life. In order to be successful, what worked for me, and it just comes back to hustling, man. You know, it doesn't matter where you're from, what corner of the street, you have got to put in the work. You've got to put in the elbow grease if you want to be respected, if you want to be successful in anything that you do. So for me, I never do anything half-assed. I go all in on it at all times, whether it's audio broadcast on my Sirius XM show, you know, whether it's television with the Fantasy Football Hour, which I co-created and I executive produce and write, uh, whether it's with my sweetest sites that I co-founded with Kevin Adams, um, you know, any, any writing, uh, every single sentence, you know, I'm thinking about new ways to, to craft something that's going to be entertaining for the audience. If it gets boring for me, it's going to be boring for the viewer. It's going to be boring for the listener. It's going to be boring for the reader. So, you know, if I put in my best foot forward at all times and doing all the grunt work, that's what they come to me for. Because at the end of the day, I'm a source of information and entertainment. And, and I got to make sure that, you know, I'm at the top of my game so I can have longevity in this business. What was that moment like when you get asked to, to, to go speak? And what was the moment like when you're actually in the room? What did it feel like? Well, there's a little bit of nerves that kick in. Um, you know, you're in a, a, a this massive hall. There's, God, there are probably a couple thousand people there. Now, the good news is uh, the person that spoke in front of me, oh, it was serious. It was a serious tone. And, you know, I, I understand what he was trying to achieve. He was trying to hit some sensitive issues in the community, which I felt was important. But I don't know if it was important enough at a commencement speech. You know, it's supposed to be more uplifting and rah-rah and go out there and conquer the world, right? So I'm like, all right, this is helping me. And his speech was very long-winded. And, you know, I kind of took the Abraham Lincoln approach at the Gettysburg Address, right? I'm going to come in. I've got, you know, X, Y, and Z I'm going to say. It's going to be short. It's going to be sweet. I'm going to say it with a lot of energy and enthusiasm try to put a smile on people's faces and hopefully they're going to remember it. And that's exactly what I did. When I was asked, uh, I was, <laughs> I was floored. Now my sister works at Parkland college in the aviation department. And I think she's the one who nominated me. So I, I wasn't shocked that this might've been coming, 
Uh, but at the same token, I was extraordinarily flattered. Um, you know, my grandmother had major influence at Parkland College. She was on the board at one point there, raised a lot of money for the institution. So, you know, it, it's really stamped on the DNA in the Evans family, uh, that institution. It is one of the finer junior colleges in the country. And I was extraordinarily proud to be, you know, come to be asked to come and speak at, at commencement and to receive, uh, you know, a dignified honor. I was not deserving of it at all, but uh, oh, it was a ton of fun. And I would do it all over again. What didn't people, programmers in particular, what didn't they get about fantasy sports at the beginning? Uh, well, they thought it was too niche. Uh, nerds, oh, you and your numbers and your calculators and your glasses and everything else, uh, you know, that's what they, they thought it was. And what they did understand is we're in the information age. And this is one tidbit, one morsel of information. And sports fans are smarter than they've ever been before. And it's all because of advanced analytics. And you've got your numbers guy, you've got your visual guy that's out there, but the advanced analytics aren't going away. And, you know, I, I think there were a lot of program directors, a lot of people uh, that were making high level decisions that were just like, oh, we can't get people lost on numbers. You know, we don't we don't want to ruin the game. You know, it's it's not a, it's not necessarily a numbers game. You know, it's more of a gut game or it's more of a field game. And, you know, there was this just this division between those two sides for decades until the money started rolling in and they saw the engagement levels and then they realized okay uh we need to pivot because that's what the mainstream is starting to become and it's it's taken a long time you know it's it's 15 20 years later now but you know i look at like the sunday night broadcast like where chris collinsworth for example you know chris owns pro football focus and i love the injection of the advanced analytics into games and, and now we're talking about betting, you know, now we're talking about, oh, your fantasy team when it used to be just tongue in cheek. No, those guys are actually playing fantasy and they're serious about, you know, when Tony Rumble's like, well, it's going to ruin my fantasy team this week, Jim. Uh, it, it might have That's a really good team. Tony Romo, by the way. Now, I don't know, Jim. I don't know. I mean, that's that's what I think of Tony Romo. <laughs> I don't know. I think he only got one foot in, Jim. <laughs> Pride of Eastern Illinois, baby. That's right. That's right. Sean Payton, you. Mike Shanahan, you. Man, they've got. Uh, there's actually a, there's a really good legacy of football coaching at Unbelievable, EIU. man. Really is unbelievable. And, and Tony Romo, Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, I mean, the ladies, the ladies uh, had their way with uh, those two fine gentlemen, I'm sure, at EIU. Hell yeah. I'm sure that he was the toast of the town when he'd, he'd take the jaunt over to take Route 16 over to Mattoon. <laughs> hang out in Mattoon. That's right. The green wave, baby. That's right. <laughs> oh, our lovely downstate uh, corn and soybean stories there, Lawrence. Hey, man, I've I've enjoyed whenever I've gone to Charleston, and I've also enjoyed the one time I went to the Hardee's in Mattoon. Hey, you know, they had the, I think, the only drive-up liquor store in downstate Illinois. Really? Uh, for an eternity in Charleston. Yeah. You know what? I, I actually remember that now. Like yeah. now that now that you you say, I'm like I remember, it and I remember going, "Wait, what?" Like yeah, that? like this is a thing. It's like like you drive through like it's a Wendy's. Yeah, except you can get beer and liquor. It's kind of awesome. It is kind of awesome to be able to roll up, get your order, and get on with your night. <laughs> yeah, that's right, man. You don't even have to get out the car. 
You know, you get your get your drink on, not in the car. Yeah, but when that's you get bad. Home. But right, like being able to to just roll up. You go to the party. You don't have to go in and talk to anybody. You just get get your brew, and then you go to the party, and you're the hit of the party. Yeah, now I just have uh, like Drizzly and various liquor delivery services here in Denver, Colorado. Hell, I can get weed delivered if I really want to. It's wonderful. I didn't know that. I didn't know that the dispensaries were delivering, but I guess it makes all the sense in the world. Well, I think it's third party, uh, and it's you know, it's I don't know if it's entirely legal, but nobody. Nobody frowns upon it. Nobody does anything about it. In fact, they're probably going to legalize it and tax it just like they would anything else. Uh, Because, Lawrence, we almost passed in Denver County recently legalizing hallucinogenic mushrooms. Oh, wow. Why not? For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Let's do it all. I mean, I get it. I mean, that area was so far ahead for such a long time that now that you can pretty much get weed anywhere, why not step it up a notch if you're Denver or Boulder? Like, it's, it's, it's time to, to take it to the next level because everyone else is kind of doing what you're doing. Oh, that's right. And, you know, it's, it, you might as well innovate. Take advantage of, of what the market bears. If you, know, if you can get booze delivered, get your weed delivered too, bro. What difference does it make? It's all legal. Who cares? I had I, I, so funny that you bring this up, man. I was talking to a friend of mine. Like, I don't smoke. I've never smoked at all. But I I've been dealing with a bad back over the last few days. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. and I said that I want to start a place called Stiff Joints. And <laughs> it's a dispensary and and also a chiropractic. So I like that idea. And that's you, actually that's your million dollar idea right there. Lawrence. I know. I, I mean, stiff joints. Like I, you, that's, you better trademark that sucker right now because I'm going to let you know uh, that's going to make you some coin. That's brilliant. I mean, it makes sense, right? Like you put put the pain management together with the pain management, and there's a lot of chiros that I'm sure are prescribing stuff. So, you know. These are the ideas that come through my head when I've got a little bit of time to think and no show to do. And here's the good news, too. It's it's not addictive. So you can get balms uh, with, you know, certain properties in it. Rub it on your lower back after your Cairo, you know, pops you back into place. You know, just kind of numbs that area and you're on your way and you're living the life. I that God's just genius. Well, just genius. Every now and again, I come up with a good one. Every now and again. <laughs> When, when did you know that fantasy had broken through? Like, was there a seminal moment where you like, ah, everyone's on board now? Yeah, I, I, and I'm just going to speak from experience. Um, in the first time I did fantasy football live, I did it at WILL-TV on the University of Illinois campus in Urbana. And I, I walk in. And I, apparently this was a huge freaking deal behind the scenes that I found out later on uh, at Yahoo Sports. 
So I step into this like cavernous studio at U of I, um, and you know I'm right in front of a backdrop with um, you know it's like a cardboard cutout of Memorial Stadium, and and I sit there and I do 30 minutes. Uh, it's a program, Fantasy Football Live, that leads right up to kickoff, and you basically just answer people's fantasy questions, or you rifle off your sleepers, your busts, your you know shocker specials, your deep plays of the week. So. You know, we do the show, myself, Brandon Funston, um, an NFL scout at the time that was with us, and Rick Schwartz was the host. And I remember when the show wrapped, this eruption in my IFB of people screaming, clapping, high-fiving, we did it! F yeah, we effing did it! And I was like, what's the big deal here? And they're like, we just made internet history. This is the first streaming live sports show that's ever been done before in the internet. And that was in 06 at that time um for sports that's what they had claimed and I, I knew it was you know the first one for fantasy sports and i'm like okay well i'm curious what the ratings are going to be and i saw the the ratings and then those ratings grew exponentially over the next couple of years it was it was that was a tipping point moment i think for the industry as a whole that people will watch people will consume people you know we were getting major uh, Fortune 500 sponsors on there, and I'm like, okay, this is it. And the next thing you know, ESPN copycatted it. Uh, pretty much everybody did the very next season. But it was in 06, that first groundbreaking show, uh, that I knew that you know this was here to stay, and it was only going to get bigger and bigger. Wow! Like to be a part of something that's that innovative. Like as far as career highlights, like that's got to be high on your list. Uh, I, yeah, I, you know, I don't really, you know, bull, I screen through a bullhorn about that. Um, you know, another thing that I did that I, I think I was the first person ever to do at Yahoo, and it was just great having all these opportunities at Yahoo Sports. I, I did a broadcast for one of the London games, and it streamed only on Yahoo Sports. This is like four or five years ago. Yeah, I Larry remember Beale. this. Yeah, Larry Beal was doing play-by-play, and, you know, I talked to my producers at Yahoo, and I'm like, do you guys have any interest in having me just coming on and doing a live fantasy spin during the broadcast? They're like, yeah, sure. We'll try it out. So uh, I did, I, I did the show, uh, did the game call and I came in, I was giving live fantasy analysis. That wasn't the entire game. I came in in spots a couple of times over, uh, I think it was a Jacksonville bills game. I and, literally, man, I know exactly the game. Yeah. I can tell you where I was. I was actually, <laughs> I was actually driving. Well, I wasn't driving. My my wife was driving. We were driving down Roosevelt Road, and she's like, "What are you doing?" I said, "I'm watching this Jacksonville game that Yahoo is streaming." Yeah, I was right by. I I can pinpoint it, man. We were by Apple's restaurant on near Roosevelt and Union. Like, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's crazy. Like, I I've clearly like vividly remember. Being like, holy crap, I'm watching a football game at nine in the morning from London on my phone. And we were in a studio in Sunnyvale watching the live NFL fed feed and calling the game. That's insane, man. Yeah, that is crazy. And we all didn't know, like, how is this going to work? Is, you know, is the stream going to be clean? And it was high definition. It was we crystal. No hiccups. It was, it was unbelievable. And, yeah, I, I believe I was the first person ever on an NFL broadcast to do, you know, a live NFL broadcast fantasy hits. 
And that, that's a big deal. That, that was a big deal for me. I was like, okay, because I'm always trying to push the industry forward. And, and that, to me, was moving it in the right direction. Now, nobody's ever done it since. Maybe I failed in that endeavor. But it was really cool to have that opportunity and execute. How do you think the dissemination of fantasy information has changed from when you started in the business to where you are right now? Because I remember, not with you, but when the score would try to do fantasy, it was very clunky. And yeah. it, it kind of centered around the phone calls. And now I think that it's it's a little bit more broad when you have experts that are talking about here's what's interesting. You have people talking about the games and then giving you fantasy analysis. So how did you see it change? Well, look, uh, you know, I, I think what's really important uh, when you are disseminating fantasy information is you have to look thing, uh, look at things through a lens of infotainment, right? You, you can't, you know, it kind of goes back to those dinosaurs I was talking about. You know, they don't want the audience get lost in the numbers. And as a fantasy mouthpiece, you, you don't want to get too lost in numbers as well. You know, a lot of people know the numbers. They know that the Bears have been subpar against the pass here these last four or five games, or, you know, they haven't been able to stop the runner. The fact that Jacksonville, you know, they're giving up 8.3 in terms of YPA, and they've allowed, like, the third most fantasy points of running back position. You know, I can, I can rattle off numbers all day long, and you will lose people that way. But you got to dress it up with something, right, in order to captivate and keep them – not only captivate their attention, but keep them engaged through it. You know, like when I talk about the Detroit Lions, I call them the Hello Kitties of Detroit. And then I'll tee it up that way, and then I will give you the actual information. So, you know, I, I think for a lot of people out there, uh, you know, fantasy was just so minutia and granular that it was all like, you know, complicated mathematics and advanced analytics. And nowadays, I, I think it's more of a source of that infotainment. You know, I think it's improved because people have been able to dress it up uh, with their personality. Matthew Barry is a, a prime example of that. Um, you know, it's something that I strive to do. Andy Barron's uh, Chicagoan uh, used to do the show with me on 670 The Score every Sunday morning. You know, you got to bring energy. You got to bring passion. You got to bring pizzazz to it in order to, you know, to have people continue to come back and feed from that same trough. And I think we're seeing an evolution now that, it, again, it goes back to it entering into the mainstream. And now it's just so accepted as a part of the sports fabric that people don't really even think about, you know, fantasy versus reality. It's all kind of blended together now. And there's not a whole lot of gray area in between. What's the challenge of producing a television show? Yeah, graphics <laughs> are always a challenge. Uh, making sure you have enough set of eyes that everything is correct. Uh, you want to make sure that people are the appropriate race. Uh, when you are, you know, with their images up, I've seen, you know, uh, white guys that are black guys, black guys that are white guys are like, oh, how did we miss that, man? How do we miss that? I, I mean, it's happened. It's happened before. Um, you know, those are some of the challenges. You, you want to make sure that everything's clean, especially when you're doing a fantasy show, because there's just so much information. And, and you want to make sure that it's, it's displayed in a way that the most simple mind that's out there that is a casual fantasy player, if they see a number or statistic, they know exactly what that means. You know, this is either a positive view on a player or a negative view on a player, like yards after contact per attempt. You know, 
if, if you bring it up on a screen and it's all splashy and it's a beautiful graphic, you got to make sure that you explain what that number means to the audience so they, they know that you're getting your point across. Um, and then the other challenge, too, is trying to get as much information as you can in 48 minutes of programming. We talk over 40 names on that show in 48 minutes of programming, uh, which blows me away. It's how I wrote and conceived the show in my head. Uh, it's very segmented, and it flows wonderfully. And, th and that's the key. You got to have flow, okay? You can't be like Le'Veon Bell. He doesn't have flow, especially when it comes to, like, rapping. He's got no flow. No flow. Zero, right? Um, now, it, like Dame Lillard, he's got flow. He's got a lot On of flow. On the court and behind the mic, right? <laughs> so, you know, I think about it that way. I got to have flow. So it's not disjointed. It's not clunky, like you were saying, right? And it's going to keep people engaged, and it's going to keep things moving along because at the end of the day, people tune in because they probably want to hear about their three players, and our hope is we're going to hit one of those important players so you can make the right decision in your lineup. So that's always the challenge. Um, but, you know, I've been, I've been blessed with great executives uh, who have been nourishing, who have been supportive. And then the other thing, too, that's always hard, is selling the show. Right. I actually, I physically sell the show myself, Lawrence. I sold it to DraftKings this year. I went out and brokered that deal myself. And, and then dealing with boneheaded executives at other levels in terms of uh, syndication. That's the other thing. You know, just trying to keep everybody happy in the loop. Everybody's getting their money. You know, there's a lot of stuff behind the scenes that people don't realize that goes into a program. Uh, the actual, the actual uh, execution on camera, I feel, is the easiest it's selling the show far and away the biggest hurdle every single year. I struggle with this with the podcast. Like I've gotten to a point now where I need like I need someone to to do the business part of it because I'm I need the separation of church and state. Like that that's my struggle right now where yeah. it's like I enjoy being the creative. Like I really like being the creative and talking with interesting people like you and finding out more about the industry. But I find myself being bogged down by like, okay, I have to, you know, I'm, you're running a business. Like that's, and yeah. that's the part that you don't really think about until you're doing it. Like it's, it's not, I don't think that you were sitting there going, oh, I want to run a business. Like I want to run an S Corp or an LLC when, when you were start ha having these ideas in champagne. And now like, that's what you do. Like you're the CEO of a company <laughs> And it's a little weird to, to, to try and marry those two things. Yeah, look, and it's been hard. I've been learning. You know, I wasn't a business major. Like I said, I was a history major. Uh, and then my master's degree is in geosciences and emphasis in meteorology. Like, my business sense, I feel like I have a good business compass. Uh, but, you know, I, I learned, like, I just set up an LLC for the first time this past year. You know, I, I've learned about the S-Corp. I've learned about tax structures and everything. Like, this is all new. This is a foreign language to me before because other people in high places were doing that at, at Yahoo, you know, and a big bloated corporate entity. Uh, but now that I'm running my own business with my co-founder and our, our host of staff, you know, you are very much in the mix, in the weeds. Your hands are dirty at all times. So it's really important to, and, and I, you know, I commend you. I tip my cap to you. You realize your weakness, right? And you, you could say, look, I, I know I can get better at this, but 
I, you know, I'm, maybe I'm just not built for that specific part of the business. Or, you know, or I think I, the church state. I think I could do it, but it would mean that someone else would have to take over the create. Like I, I feel like I could do either yep. job, but one takes away from the other. That's the weakness for me. Yeah, and and that's important to understand what your weakness is. And for me, you know, I'm a dunderhead in certain elements, and I feel like I'm, you know, a smart guy in others. So I do sacrifice certain things, you know, to make sure that the business is being run properly. I can't take on everything. I'm only, you know, I'm not Michael Keaton in multiplicity. You know, if I can replicate <laughs> myself, I do it, but I can't. Because you I don't can't, Lauren. Because you don't want to be the guy with the helmet and the goggles. That's right. That's what you That's don't exactly want. Exactly right. Because then you're on the struggle bus. All right, so listen, but before I let you get out of here, I, I do want to ask you about another one of your passions. And it, it was one of the, the most interesting segments that you and I did on the air when you started talking about tequila. Right. And I had so many people, like, hit me up on the text line or, or on Twitter and wanted to know your handle so they could talk to you about tequila. When does this become more than just you at Cam's having drinks? When, <laughs> when, when does this become like a thing where you're like, I want the best tasting tequila. I want the most interesting tequila I can find. Look, man, uh, I don't shy away from most beverages. Um, you know, it's, it's, it, it's a trait of mine. But, you know, when I was living in Arizona, because I lived there, you know, I'm in Denver now. I've been here a little over six years. Uh, I lived in, in the Phoenix area, the northern suburbs of Anthem, uh, for four and a half years. And it was down there that, you know, I've, I've always loved and admired the Hispanic culture, uh, Mexican culture in particular. And, you know, tequila is a passion point in Mexico. Like, they have a tequila czar that is a government official. And his entire job is to oversee the operations in Jalisco and other parts of the country to make sure they're being run properly. I'm like, God, I would love that job. That's amazing. You know, because it's such a, uh, a piece of their history and culture. They take great pride in the manufacturing of it and making sure that the quality is high. You know, it's not the Jose Cuervo crap that was cut with high fructose corn syrup like, you know, I was shooting at Cam's and he'd wake up with a hellacious hangover. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there is an art to it. And there is an aging process with the different levels. You know, it's not just, you know, your Blanco, which is great for margaritas or, you know, whatever you're mixing with. I do a lot of infusions with various fruits, especially in the summer uh, with Blancos. You know, put in the mason jar, let it sit for a week, and then, you, you know, you have an entirely different taste profile in the margaritas that you make. Um, it's, you know, it's the, it's the sipping tequilas, the reposados, the añejos, the extra añejos that are out there that are aged much like whiskey, much like scotch and bourbons, you know, in, in, in Kentucky and in other parts of the United States. You know, Mexico does it in a similar way, but I just, I love the, the vanilla finish on tequilas. And, I, you know, I, I just thoroughly enjoy bathing in the love juice, I call it, on, on the regular. And, you know, as a result of it, I, it's just the perfect complement uh, to my evening, you know, if I'm watching college basketball, if I'm watching the NFL, if I got some bets on the line, uh, I love everything about it. And I become very passionate and learning more about tequila. And, and, you know, it's, it, you know, it goes also back to me growing up as a military brat in San Antonio. You know, I was surrounded by 
uh, the Hispanic culture. And I think, you know, being, you know, growing up in that kind of environment, it stuck with me. And this is just an extension of that in adulthood. Okay, so if, if, if I'm listening to this pod, and, and you, I can only drink one tequila for the <laughs> yeah. one sipping tequila for the rest of my life. What do I need to go and buy and why? It's Classe Azul. Uh, and, you know, you and I are connected on a Zoom call, and I have several empty bottles, vessels of it here, handcrafted, hand painted bottles, every single one of them. And these things are collector's items in their own right. You can see people, they'll turn them into lamps, and, very, you know, like uh, they'll make. Coffee tables with these as the legs, the bottles. Uh, they're exquisite. The bottle in Chicago and Illinois, because the taxes in the state are fairly low for alcohol. Thank God for that for now. Um, about $115, $125 a bottle. And it's worth every penny. It's exquisite. And this is just a reposado. They have it on Yeho, but it runs $600 a bottle. And I talked to when I was in Cabo a couple of years ago. They had a boutique at the airport. And, you know. Duty free, bro. You got to take advantage. For sure. So I go in there and I'm like, yo, um, you got the Añejo. And the guy goes, oh, senor, the Añejo uh, comes out once a year and it's gone within two weeks. We sell out. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, interesting. And it runs 600 bucks a bottle. So I've not had the Añejo version, but just the Reposado itself is aged to perfection. And if you like the vanilla finish, it is the smoothest, it is the best, it is the most exquisite tequila you will ever have in terms of bang for the buck. I've had more expensive versions, like the Don Julio 42 runs about the same price, but it doesn't have that same finish. This is a la creme de la creme of the tequilas that are out there. Classe Azul, and you can get it just about anywhere in the uh, Chicago Metroplex. Mr. Evans, this was quite the education. I... You know how I feel about you, man. So I, I appreciate you doing this for my podcast and taking it into a different space. And I'm I'm happy that you continue to evolve and succeed, man. It's a it's it's very uplifting to know that you're out there doing what you do and you're doing it the way you want to do it, which is even better. And I appreciate you wholeheartedly, Lawrence. Uh, you know, when people can commence once again in the flesh. Uh, the first round of Class A Azul is on me, amigo. Uh, we will enjoy it at one of the many fine institutions in the Windy City. Uh, I have not been back in a couple of years. I miss Chicago. Uh, I miss my family in Champaign. Uh, but I got to get back, and we're going to tear up the town. And, and maybe we'll win some sports bets uh, in the process. Uh, I hear the White Sox might be decent this year. I I'm, like my Cubs. I'm hoping that they'll be decent. Actually, <laughs> I, I hold, hold out a little bit of hope for your Cubs, too, though. I <laughs> will see about that. We'll man. see. We'll see if, if what they can add, because it does feel like they're getting ready to get rid of payroll. But yep. But <laughs> until they do, I'm going to hold out a little bit. My guy Rossi has been more impressive than I was expecting him to be in his first year. I think they, they got the right manager. Now it's just a matter of are they going to continue to spend money or are they going to shred payroll? And it feels like they're yeah, going to shred payroll. That, that, yeah. And they got to shore up that bullpen because it was an unmitigated disaster last year. Uh, you know, but they got some of the sticks, you know, losing Schwarber uh, obviously hurts a lot of people, but it was a necessary move, but man, the white Sox. I don't like the Tony LaRusso hire. Neither do I'll I. Be, I'll be honest and real with you. I think a lot of people locally probably didn't, uh, but the nucleus of that team is spectacular. It is. Oh, my God. They could be great. Brother, be well, and thank you so much for doing this. 
Hey, man, my pleasure. Anytime. Uh, Mas tequila, amigo. Happy holidays. My man. I love talking with that dude, man. I could talk I could talk about the industry with that guy for hours and hours. And I, I'm not a big drinker at all. But I, I will tell you this. The next time that I am in a space where the I always think and dream about the, the time when we can all be together again, the next time that I am in a space with Brad Evans, I am going to get rip-roaring drunk with that man, and we are going to hang out and talk about life and the industry. And I'm going to let him order the tequila, and I'm going to talk to him about rum because that's been kind of the, my thing. I've been learning more about rum over the last few months. Like, it, it kind of – I like – as far as liquor goes, I enjoy sangria. I I have a few red wines that I like. I do like that 19 Crimes, that Snoop wine that he has. I do like that, and I like uh, – there's a red wine called Black Girl Magic that I think is really good. But I'm not really I'm I'm not smart enough to talk about wine like Bernstein, like he talks about it. I do like rum though. Like I found that that's my drink. We were down in New Orleans last year, and when I'm on vacation, I will allow myself to day drink a little bit. Although my buzz like quickly went away when there was like a score listener who recognized me, and I was like, ah oh, shit. I was like, okay, well, I can't go back to New Orleans and have fun anymore. But I can drink in my house if I want to, and occasionally I do. So I've become a fan of rum. If you got a rum recommendation for me, hit me up. Let me know, houseofelpodcast at gmail.com. I have a book on rum. A friend got me a book on rum so I can learn more about it. But right now I have a bunch of different rums from around the globe and i found that my favorite so well before i tell you my favorite i have rum from the virgin islands i have rum from puerto rico obviously um i've actually been to the bacardi plant in puerto rico i have rum from jamaica i have rum from barbados and my favorite is diplomatico which is a rum from Venezuela. Shout out to my man Gabe from B96. He hit me up with another rum from Venezuela that I should check out. The reason why I like Diplomatico is it smells delicious. Like, smell is a big part of taste for me. I don't trust people who don't smell their food before they eat it. Uh, But I'm definitely one of those people. And... I really, really, really like this rum. Now, I don't drink often, and I can't remember the last time that I was, like, drunk. But occasionally I'll make myself a little bit of a drink. And in New Orleans, you know, they, they have so many different, like, rum runner, like, hurricane-ish type drinks where you can play around. And for me, it's really simple. Like, I'm someone who loves sweet. So my drink of choice is pineapple juice and rum and grenadine. Maybe you throw a splash of orange juice in there. But I love I love to make those, and they look beautiful, especially if you don't mix them. But I also have a shaker, so I like to shake them. If you want it, want it to be a little bit more frothy, 
It can be more frothy for you if you shake them. But hearing the way that Brad talks about tequila is the way that eventually I'm going to be about talking about rum. But I dig that dude, man. I dig his whole vibe. I'm down with it, and I'm glad that I know that guy. And I like talking to people like that. One of those dudes that kind of like broadens your horizon, <laughs> you know, it has you looking at yourself and looking at the industry a little differently than than what you are. Really smart guy with a lot of incredible ideas, and if you couldn't figure it out, a ton of energy. But yeah, man, if you've got if you've got a rum that you'd like for me to try, maybe maybe that's something that I'll add to House of L. Maybe I'll add some of these these rum recommendations or rum reviews. Like I could do it like donuts. If your rum isn't good enough to drink on ice, like if I have to mix it, then I'm not interested. If it's good enough to stand on its own on ice, though. I'm down. If I can sip it the way that Brad was talking about sipping tequila on ice or chilled, I'm down. So hit me up, Podcast at gmail.com is the way that you can email me. I'll say it again slowly, Podcast at gmail.com. All right. That wraps up this episode. I can tell you that I've got some more incredible interviews coming up over the next few weeks. Now that bear season is over, we can be a little bit more focused in on these interviews and maybe some of these specialty episodes of House of L. But I appreciate you all sticking with me no matter what. We will be even more fun and even more creative in 2021. Thanks for your support as always. I'll talk to you next time. Hey!